Hey everyone, before we jump in, I want to remind you that Sam Masteller, one of the leaders who we reference in this episode, is going to be at Summit Church on January 29th from 10am to 12pm in the Youth Auditorium. He's going to teach a leadership roundtable which is free and open to the public. If you're a leader, or you know leaders in your life, come see Sam Masteller, January 29th at 10am at 2707 West Pike Road, Indiana, PA. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the Back 40 Leadership Podcast. My name is Michael Bond, and I am here today with Pastor Mel Massengale. Hi, Michael Bond, and hello, guests and audience. Hope you guys are doing great. Okay, so this particular episode is going to be very pertinent to the Back 40 Leadership Network because what we're going to talk about are professional networks and how they might benefit a pastor. So I think it's clear in the corporate world that networking is super important. I mean, you think of uh, websites like LinkedIn and all these other places where people would go to try to build their network so that they can get better jobs and that sort of yeah. thing. Sometimes we might not think of professional networks for pastors and the benefits that those might have. But before we get into the particular benefits, why don't we just think about like, what are the best ways for a pastor to build his professional network? What are some ways that have been successful for you? Um, for me personally, there's been a couple things I've done. Um, I mean, this sounds kind of cheesy to say it this way, but like, I think you build your, I, be, I think you build your personal network um, online. Um, and I hate, I hate social media. To be perfectly honest with you, I feel like it's a necessary evil. Um, but I feel like that's one of the ways you do that. So when I moved to Pennsylvania, I didn't know a single pastor that lived here. Um, but I started before we moved, I started connecting with all these pastors that were around my age that were in the similar denominations, uh, similar streams. And by the time I got here, I started building relationships with them. Like we had already established a little bit of a connection. Um, and so today, you know, one of my closest friends is Sam Masteller, and he was one of the first people I connected with online before we moved. And so I think we, <clears throat> In our disdain for social media at times, we we throw the baby out with the bathwater, and I feel like that's a good place to start for a lot of pastors, especially rural pastors. You might not have somebody that's 10 minutes away or 20 minutes away, uh, but you might be able to connect relationally with someone, network with somebody who's an hour and a half away in a similar context as you. Um, so I would say start with your social media. Um, find people. Don't be afraid to friend people that you don't know or follow people you don't know. Um, that would be a great way to start. But <clears throat> similarly, in person, um, I've gone, I go to events, um, and I don't mind going to events by myself if I need to. So, like, one of my overseers is John Nuzo. He became an overseer because I started going to some of his events. Um, heard about what he was doing, what he was hosting, and I just started going. I built relationship, and now, you know, he's a, he's a, uh, a pastor for me. So I think, you know, the same principles that apply to online would apply in person. You just pursue that, you go after it, you you ask a lot of people and some of them are going to say no. They don't want to be your friend. It sounds needy to say that like that, but would you be my friend? Yeah. And uh but that's what really what you're doing is saying, "Hey, I want to find people who I want to be like, that I want our ministries to to look like that. I want, you know, I want to lead like that, whatever it might be, and how can I get around that person?" Yeah, I think there is a hesitancy in particular for pastors who are just starting out who maybe haven't built their professional net network yet. Their hesitancy is, well, 
if I reach out to someone who's further ahead of me, who has yeah. a bigger network than me, well, they're just going to say no. And like yeah. they, they're, they're so afraid of the rejection that they don't try. Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the tools that they can use to help with that is to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm just going to automatically reach out to the person no matter what, even if they say no. So kind of just assume maybe they say no, but I'm going to reach out anyway. Yeah. But then also, uh, when you reach out, make sure that you define the amount of time that the person's going to need to spend with you. Yeah. So that's one of the things that's been helpful for me is, okay, a lot of times pastors with bigger networks will have an assistant. And so you reach out to their assistant and you say, Hey, I'd really like to sit down and have lunch with this pastor. It will take this much of his time and we'll talk maybe about these things Mm -hmm. because then going into it, that bigger pastor has more, he knows what he's getting into and he knows that, okay, I'm not going to end up sitting down for three hours talking about sweet nothings with somebody that, you know, and so that would make, them maybe more likely to say yes. Yeah, for sure. And because I've been approached by some people who've said, "Hey, would you mentor me?" And it's, oh, "What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Like, what do you? What does that look like for you?" Or, "Hey, because we have, you know, I mentioned John Nuzo and Jim Hennessy. Um, shameless plug. Jim Hennessy is one of my overseers, and he's going to be with us for the Back Forty Conference in June. Uh, that's June the twenty fourth and twenty fifth. Mark your calendars now. Anyway, um, but like Jim and John <clears throat> serve as overseers for me, and I am grateful for them. Um, and I've had some people come to me and say, hey, would you want to serve as one of my overseers? And what does that mean? Like, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. What What do you and, – and they don't know. Well, I'm not really sure. And it's like, well, until you can define that, I'm going to say no. And so that, I think that's exactly right. I think you have to go in with some sort of game plan, what you want out of that relationship, what you want out of the, the network, whatever it might be. Yeah. And I think that's really valuable and it's really important for you to think through that um, on the front end. So let's say someone comes to Back 40. What's the what does the transition look like from coming to the conference, for instance, yep. and meeting lots of new pastors? What would they do from that point to try to get more individual meetings? Is it kind of that same idea of like, okay, I'm gonna pick who is where I want to be, and then I'm gonna follow this process of trying to define what I want out of the relationship? Like, let's think in, in specifics to Back 40, like yeah. on the last day of the event, do we have like ways for them to transition into individual relationship? Yeah, and and some of it's going to be real organic. Um, and we've get we've had people that have come to back forty that have built big, you know, important relationships with each other, even though they live four hours apart. Because um, it's less about hey, we're in you know we're neighbors, and more about hey, we're in relationship together. And so there's some relationships, and then there are some I would say probably mentor type relationships, and those. Both of those have to be intentional, but they have to be intentional at different levels. Um, you know, the, the the mentor type relationship takes pursuit. You know, like I'm not going to expect a mentor to come to me and go, "Hey, I want to mentor you. Mm-hmm. You seem like a sharp guy." I have to pursue that. And in organic relationships, it's going to be a little different. Where it's got to be, there's got to be some reciprocity. You know, that's got to be both ways. Um, and so I think about like Brad Price who pastors down in Bedford PA and, um, uh, my friend, Aheen Chakraborty who pastors up uh, near, near Williamsport, you know, they developed friendship at back 40 and they've stayed friends, um, through the years, uh, just because they have some similar, um, experiences and things like that. And so, you know, we don't have some formal steps that we go, okay, here's what you want to do. You can sign up for coaching here. You can sign up for friendship here or anything like that. Right. It really is about 
hey, are you going to have the initiative? Because I promise you could talk to some people who have come to Back 40 and been a part of some of our events who would say, oh, it doesn't work. You, you, you don't meet anybody there. And it's like, well, for you, that was the case because mm-hmm. you didn't apply yourself. You didn't pursue anything. You you showed up, waited for somebody to pursue you. And when it didn't happen, you left saying, oh, yeah, see, I, I knew that was going to be like that. So Yeah, that's a really useful point because I think that – if you're not a very well networked pastor, but you have, let's say talent, or you know you have talent, um, it's still probably not gonna be the case that the pastors who are well networked are going to pursue you or to mm-hmm. pursue you, to mentor you. Yeah. It's a little different in that way from like athletics, where mm-hmm. uh, you know the, the, the sports teams have incentive to send out scouts to get to recruit new people. But yeah. with, it, it seems to me that pastors who are operating in a high capacity are very, very, very busy people. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you have to you have to be loud. Like you have to be the squeaky wheel to some degree if you yeah. want to get the attention. Even if you're excellent at what you're doing, whether it's worship, whether it's preaching, whatever it is, even if you're excellent, you still have to make yourself seen, make yeah. yourself visible. And so I think reaching out in that way is, is a crucial part of that. Well, but even if you're not looking for somebody to pastor you or mentor you or lead you, if you're just looking for a, a peer, um, pastors are busy. You know, No matter what size your church is, pastors are busy. And um, a lot of pastors have a lot of relationships. Um, and so it really, it really does necessitate pastors saying, hey, I'm going to lay down my pride that I have to be approached or, you know, I'm going to lay down my comfort and I'm going to go approach and I'm going to have some people because literally, like I said, not just with mentoring relationships, I've had some people that have essentially been like, now nah, I'm not interested in relationship. Like, cool, no problem. And I didn't let that keep me from pursuing other relationships. If so, I wouldn't have any friends. Mm-hmm. You know, I would be the solo pastor doing it by myself and uh, feeling lonely. And the the reality is, most pastors feel that way to some degree or another. And that's one of the reasons Back Forty exists is not just to, um, you know, empower or to equip with tools and resources, but to equip with relationships as well. Like we want you to be in relationship with other pastors that are helping you. Um, and that's really, when we think about network, sometimes we think about it in terms of just uh, the utility of helping us be better at our craft. Mm-hmm. And that's really, and to me, that's secondary. Like mm-hmm. I need the relationships from the network more than I need somebody to help me with my skill sets. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Like if, like pastoring, if you're not careful in pastoring, you can become one of the loneliest people because you don't want to share your grievances with people who you're trying to shepherd. And if you don't, if you're not intentional about building those relationships with peers, then you have no one to share your grievances with. Absolutely. And you have no one to speak into any kind of issues or provide oversight or whatever it is, like even just to vent to, you you just don't have that person unless you're intentional about. Absolutely. And even with, with us, you know, we've got a big staff, we got a bunch of pastors on staff here. But there's certain things I'm not talking to our staff about, and I am close with our staff. I love our staff. Uh, there's not very much I don't tell our staff, but there are some things that it's like, nope, I'm not taking this to our team. I have to have other healthy outlets to share this with people that understand my position. Um, and sometimes they're going to help me navigate that in a healthy way, and sometimes they're just people that need to be able to say, yeah, that sucks. Like, yeah, I've been there. That sucks. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes that's what I need. Um, but again, that's not definitely not people in our church normally. And a lot of times it's not our staff even. So if I don't have that, then I'm not as healthy as I could be. 
Yeah, definitely. So when you think about like ecumen- ecumenical networks or yep. uh, gatherings like ministerium meetings, um, I've been a part of one of these a couple times and I didn't notice much uh, conflict with regards to like doctrinal differences uh-huh. or people getting in the weeds over theology. It kind of seemed more like a friendly place to kind of go and yeah. check in with everybody, see how everyone's doing in terms of their health and that sort of thing. Uh, what do you think about ecumenical gatherings or like in particular, like inter- interdenominational meet networks of pastors? Like, would you be hesitant to reach out to someone who's a Presbyterian or even a Catholic, maybe uh, like minister? No, I wouldn't um, because, and I know it's different in every community, but like we have really, in Indiana, we have really good relationships among the churches, um, even the churches that have some very different doctrinal stances. Um, and the, the, we just find our common ground. Like we're not worried about, oh, you don't believe in female leadership, but we do. That's a problem. We just go, okay, that's the secondary issue. Let's lay that aside. The primary issue is Christ. The primary issue is lost people. Um, and so that's where we build our common ground. Uh, and the real value, I mean, there's value because there's relationships. Um, but I think one of the biggest values when we don't do that, uh, that we lose is uh, our churches see us and how we interact with other churches. And I think it's life affirming and it's, it brings glory to God whenever my church sees us working well with the Presbyterian church or the Methodist church or whoever it might be, the Catholic church. Um, and we have some great relationships in our community with churches that have different doctrinal stances than us. That, you know, we are not reformed, but we work well with, um, you know, Saving Grace Church and they're more reformed than we are. And so I think it I think it's good for our church to see like, hey, this does stuff doesn't have to divide us and it sets a good tone. Um, and so I think it is important for, for churches and pastors to go, okay, um, this might feel like a waste of time to go to a meeting for an hour, an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. Um, but there is value in it and the value is the bigger picture. It's not in what is, what is the return going to be today for this, but what is it building overall in the kingdom? Um, cause again, even, even those relationships, sometimes somebody outside of your network can see things a little differently than you. And I had a friend that I've gotten to know, pastors of a very large Methodist church, and he called one day and said, hey, can I come over and go to lunch with you? And we went to lunch, and he was asking me questions about what we do, and their church is similar sized stars. And he just said, I just needed I just needed to see some different perspective outside of the Methodist mm-hmm. movement. I needed to see what some other churches are doing, how they're doing it. And I just think there's a lot of value in that, just different perspectives, different points of view. Yeah, having the diverse perspectives, I think, really helps get you out of your box and helps prevent you from, uh, you know, whenever you get too bogged down in your doctrine or in your theology, that can really uh, hinder your ability to build relationships. And I think that, like you said, uh, if you want your people to be able to reach the lost mm-hmm. on their own. If you, I mean, that's like a, that's a bigger doctrinal difference than doctrinal differences themselves is yeah. the fact that you, 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 we're trying to have people who have the relational abilities to reach out to people who are outside of the faith. I mean, yeah. that's a massive difference uh, in terms of worldview. And so if we want our people to be able to do that, it's like anything else that leaders have to model. They mm-hmm. just, they, if they model the ability to work interdenominationally, then they can, mo- they can model that ability of how do I build a relationship with people who have theological differences from me? Yeah. And then that naturally leads towards 
uh, maybe not naturally leads towards, but it certainly helps with reaching the lost, reaching people who are outside the faith. Yeah, I don't think it hurts at all. And <clears throat> we live in a world that's so polarized based on our ideologies, you know, whether it's doctrine or political or whatever it might be, that um, it feels like it, it's the world that is increasingly polarized and isolated. And I think this is a way that we can tear some of that down is just by going, okay, I'm, I'm not concerned about these specific doctrines. You know, mm-hmm. we can disagree on that stuff and still love each other well. Yeah. And that's, man, that's so important. So I think when people try to have conversations with someone who disagrees with them, they get stuck on the feeling like they need to come to an answer or they need yeah. to produce reconciliation in that yeah. conversation. But sometimes the more important part of it is to just demonstrate how to have the conversation. Yeah. So you go into it knowing, okay, this person's way different from me. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Probably at the end of this, we're not going to see the same on this issue, but we have an opportunity to show everyone around us how to have a, a relationship mm-hmm. with this person. Uh, you know, even though we're not going to come to the, to the, uh, to the, the same answer, right. we can show how to have the conversation. And I think ha- showing how to have the conversation might actually be the answer to the polarization because mm-hmm. that's, that's that's the problem of the polarization is that it breaks down the conversation it's not that we it's not that we see things differently that's the issue it's that we've stopped talking to each other yeah and uh so yeah that's a man that's that's a crucial point well i think um trying to win someone to my side um you know understanding hey we're on the same side we're on the side of christ you just have some different views than me it that prevents us from having to go well i'm right and you're wrong so you have to come to my side in order for this to be reconciled does that make sense mm-hmm, yeah and so i think having that point of view and just being able to go hey we're all on the same team we just have different labels on our signs or on our churches or whatever it might be um that that's really helpful and, and before i go too far i want to say this um we don't partner with every church in our community because not every church in our community, um, some of their doctrine is too far afield for us mm-hmm. to be able to go. Yep, we can work together. Uh, when you start talking about um, the the inerrancy of scripture, like, well, it might not really be God inspired. Like, that's where I start drawing the line. Um, talking about salvation through Christ alone. You know, there's some churches that are like, well, maybe not if you're really sincere. And that's where I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you know. And so there are some lines we draw that we definitely go, hey, we're, we can love them, but we don't have to partner with them or be in, in relationship or networked with them. And so there are some standards we have for that. Yeah. So when you're trying to establish those lines, uh, what do you look for? So we talked about the inerrancy, the inerrancy of Scripture mm-hmm. and um, salvation through Christ alone. Uh, are there other areas that you would say, okay, uh, if we disagree on this kind of point, it's mm-hmm. going to manifest itself as like relational breakdown. Like, do we have, how, how do you, I guess my question is we don't want to lose the structure yeah. whenever it comes to being able to relate to other people. Like we mm-hmm. want to have, we still want to keep the structure of our worldview. And I think that that can present a challenge to somebody who's trying to build his network because he's thinking, well, this would be a valuable relationship to have. Maybe yeah. it's like somebody who uh, doctrinally is different in a way that's like substantive mm-hmm. and that could cause real problems. But, oh, man, it's so tempting to build that relationship with that that bigger leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, this might not be 
a question that has like bullet point answers. It might be like kind of go by intuition, go by feel, go by the, yeah. the leading of the spirit. Uh, but do you have any kind of tips for people who would be maybe trying to figure out what their non-negotiables are? Um, I think they're probably the they're probably the big ones that I just mentioned. I, I think that's where you would start because what happens sometimes is we flip them. We take some of the minors and make them majors. And that's where, that's where we become isolationists because if we are only going to be in relationship with people who have the exact same beliefs as us, I mean, <clears throat> even in our, um, we're affiliated with the assemblies of God as a church, but even among the assemblies of God, there is a wide array of, uh, doctrinal practices. How do we live out what we say we believe? Um, and so if I limit who we're going to be in relationship with, with just people who believe exactly what we believe and practice exactly what we practice, um, what essentially we've done is flipped the the minors to become majors. And now, now we're isolated mm -hmm. because we've, yeah. for whatever reason, we've said, this is our standard. So I think if we start with the big stuff and just say, hey, man, I want to make sure they are doctrinally sound, biblically sound, you know, um, inherency of scripture, salvation through Christ, um, you know, those are the big ones. Other than that, we can start working our way through this. Um, I would be looking at like, hey, um, who practices church like we do or who, who, who um, whose faith is manifested the way ours is, mm -hmm. you know, um, because how we practice our faith is probably a good indication of what they believe. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so those would be the things I would be looking at going, okay, they do church like we want to, or we do. Mm -hmm. And so there's probably a lot of common ground. And right. that's what I've seen. Some of the people I'm closest to are the people that we do church the same way and it's because we have common values. And so, um, you know, like I mentioned Sam Mastel or Chris Trethway or Kyle Hammond or whoever it might be. These are guys that their churches look similar to ours. And it's because their core belief about who God is and what he's called us to do are very similar. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. And it might not be like, it might not be a dichotomy of, okay, yes, I can have a relationship with right. this person or no, it might be an issue of proximity. So mm -hmm. for instance, if you, uh, if you encounter a, let's say in our case, let's say you encounter a minister who's like a cessationist who doesn't believe in female preachers. Right. Um, you could say, okay, well, because of those two things, I can have a relationship with him. I can sit down with him. Mm -hmm. I can maybe go to a ministerium meeting with mm -hmm. him, but I probably, I'm not sure if I want to do church with him because yeah. there, you know, the way we practice church, the way we do church is different in parts that maybe don't seem crucial mm -hmm. for a lunch meeting. But if we were to actually carry out a service together, then we might end up having issues. So yeah. there is some proximity yeah, I think I think that's probably a good way of putting it. And <clears throat> and we have different levels of relationship with everybody in our life. You've got people you're close to, you've got people you know, you've got people, you know, and I think there are people that can occupy certain spaces, but when you're talking about people when you're networking, people that I'm going to be the most intimate with, people that I'm going to share my heart with, I think it has to be people you have the most common ground with mm -hmm. uh, because they're going to understand you, they're going to understand perspective and, you know, heart and all those kind of things. And again, I've got some people in our community that I love deeply that are cessationists and it's like, okay, that's great. And I can still love you really well, but there's always going to be a little bit of a disconnect, you know, at least in our relationship mm -hmm. and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah. 
So when it comes to utilizing your professional network to grow your church, I think this is, and we talked about how this wouldn't, this shouldn't be the only motivation to have the network. Like you want to have people to build a relationship with and to have the support from on a friendship level. But I think it is the case that uh, pastors, whenever they're, Uh, reaching out to try to build relationships with particularly pastors who are, and it doesn't necessarily have to be bigger churches, but Mm -hmm. just churches that are like the church they want to pastor. Like, like that, you know, they're doing it the way that they want to do it. Um, what, how can you utilize your network to bring benefit to the congregation that you're currently serving? Like, I I don't know if there's like technical ways of doing this or steps you can take or strategies Mm -hmm. because I think about it like, well, there's some risk in networking, you know, yeah, like if is. you, cause you have only, you have a finite amount of time. And if, if you invest a bunch of time in various leaders that really are not going to bring any kind of return for what you're trying to do, that might not be where you want to focus your aim. And so yeah. what kind of things do you look for in terms of, okay, how is, if I build this relationship with this person, how is this going to benefit what I'm trying to do within my own congregation? I think the first question is, is it life-giving to me personally? Um, because if it's not, no matter what kind of benefit it might bring to the church, um, it's it's not going to be worth it for me. Um, and so, like, you know, some of the guys I've mentioned already in this conversation, those are typically guys that when I get off the phone with them or I walk away from a conversation with them, I feel affirmed. I feel better about who I am about who God is, you know? So I think it starts with a deeply personal place where are these people that I love that I can share my life with that I feel better about ministry after I've spent time with them. Um, and I think one of the easiest ways for, for us to, um, kind of cross pollinate is to invite people to speak into what we're doing. Um, and again, this takes like, it takes us laying down some of our pride to be able to say, Hey, what are we doing that we need help with? Or, hey, you do this really well and we don't. Would you speak into this for us? And it might be something formal um, like, hey, come speak to our team. You know, or even if even if you don't have a staff, say, hey, on a Tuesday night, we're going to gather our key leaders together. And I would love for you to come and just talk to our team about whatever it might be. Um, so maybe it would be something formal like that or even inviting somebody to come preach in a weekend service for you. Um, because I just feel like you're infusing some DNA from who these people are into your church. Um, and I love exposing my church to high capacity leaders and pastors and, you know, people that are speaking into me. Mm -hmm. I, I want our church to hear from those people. Um, and this is a little selfish too. Whenever I expose our church to those people, it's a reflection on me as well. Cause people are like, dang, this guy's good. And mm-hmm. he's friends with pastor. Like, wow. Okay. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's affirming there, but, um, it could be some formal things like that, or it might be some informal things like just having a conversation going, man, I'm really struggling with how do we implement this or how does this happen in our church? Do you have any thoughts on that? Can you, can you help me walk through this better? And so, you know, having a network, it can have some formal um, benefits or it can be informal, just helping you understand best practices. And then there's, you know, places like we're part of the association of related churches. Um, and ARC is fantastic and they've got formal resources. They've got documents, they've got all kinds of things that you can access to, to help you, um, be better, you know, whatever you need to be better at. And so, you know, there's all levels, but I think from the very, uh, kind of organic 
just being better as a pastor, as a leader, you know, just through having conversations all the way to, hey, they're going to help us with our best practices. I mean, I think there's lots of benefits in helping uh, my church get better just through relationships and networks. Yeah, I really like what you said about uh, bringing in people and ex- exposing like high capacity leaders to the congregation because so we, we, we it seems it's weird because we, we see the value in this when it comes to like building a resume for a job interview. Mm-hmm. But I think sometimes the value of that is overlooked when it comes to having new people come in to join your church because mm-hmm. when a new person comes in to join the church, your church, that's like a job interview mm-hmm. in a sense for the pastor. Every time you have someone new come in they're they're going to be thinking okay who is this pastor what is this person like you know uh, and so to for new people who are coming in and this might be a good way like we were talking about utilizing the network to grow your church if you're if you're trying to grow your church um and you're bringing new people in showing them that you're well networked is is going to show them that you're also well vetted Mm -hmm. and so I, i think it's a I think it's a mistake to think that the network, having the network is only useful in the moment of the job interview, whether you're trying to pastor a church or whether you're trying to work for someone who pastors a church. Like it's useful to have the network at the moment of the first interview, but this kind of work is a continual interview for, I mean, pretty much forever. If you're trying to reach new people, like you're, they're going to be wondering what you're about. And so Mm -hmm. to have that, that, uh, that network in place and to regularly show those people to your church, I think is, uh, is huge. I think that's very beneficial. Well, and I know pastors who don't bring in guest speakers. <clears throat> um, and it might be for practical reasons, like we don't have the budget to pay somebody to come in and put them in a hotel or whatever it might be. Or it might be something um, a little more, uh, a little more insidious, like I don't want I don't want them hearing from somebody they might like more than me, mm-hmm. if, I, if we're going to be honest. Um, but the value in bringing somebody else in is uh, I don't know how many times I've brought in guest speakers. And and just for the record, I never bring in anybody because I feel bad for them. I never bring in a buddy because they just need a place to preach. I I only bring in people who are going to add value to our church. Um, So when I bring in a guest speaker, they might say some of the exact same things I've been saying for years. Um, and, and this is where I've got to lay my pride down a little bit because I don't know how many times I've had people say, oh my gosh, pastor, when, when they said this, it was so incredible. And I want to say, I've been saying that for eight years, right? But it's like, they just hear a different voice. They hear it from a different perspective and it clicks differently than it would if they hear it from me. And so that's where I have to go. Okay. Do I want the best for my people or is it really just about me getting credit or, you know what I mean? And so we have to suss through some of that stuff. And, uh, and I would encourage you, uh, if you're a pastor listening to this and you're not somebody who normally brings in guest speakers, I would encourage you find, find a, a, a way, put it in your budget. You don't have to give somebody an extraordinary amount of money, um, to come in and bless your church. It might be a friend who, you knew was going to do a good job and just tell them, Hey, I can, I can give you $200 to come preach, but man, it would be a lot of help for us. I guarantee you, you're going to find some people that'll come in and speak into your church and it'll be a, a real value add. Yeah, that's a really interesting thing. I've noticed that between spouses sometimes. Yeah. Like the the, the one partner will say to the other one, uh, like a wife might say to her husband, give him advice or, you know, tell her, tell him, I think a common one is recommend a movie. Mm-hmm. And, uh, sometimes the husband will be like, Oh, well, you know, she recommended it to me. But, but then if like his buddy or somebody else comes along, who's less familiar with mm-hmm. comes in and makes the recommendation, he's like, Oh yeah, I want to go see that movie. Right. And I don't know why that is, but I think it, it might have something to do with when, when you, people come become so familiar with you, 
you know, we try to guard against this. We try to continue to have the separation that leads to good author authoritative mm -hmm. leadership. But when people see you every week, it might be the case that the, um, they start to become so familiar with you mm -hmm. that, that, that some of the authority drops. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's why it is or if there's... Well, and even, I mean, we're getting off topic a little bit, but even in relationships, let's be honest, the people we tend to hurt the worst are the people that are closest to us. Um, and part of it is because we take them for granted. It's like, oh, well, I can mm. say this because they've got to forgive me, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so there's some of that, you know, the familiarity builds contempt, that kind of thing, that there is something about hearing the same voice over and over and being around the same people, you know, and... And hearing something from somebody else does feel special and unique and different at times. And so, again, if, if my church is hearing from me 52 weeks out of the year, um, then I'm going to be less effective. And they're not receiving everything they could be receiving. And, and, and part of the reason pastors don't bring in other guests is, honestly, they don't have a network. They don't have anybody mm -hmm. to bring in. Um, and so... So, yeah, I think it's valuable in so many ways. Do you think that, so say a pastor is trying to make a major shift in his church, maybe a major shift in operations, mm -hmm. um, and he thinks, okay, well, if I am if I bring the case or I make the argument for a certain thing, yeah. my familiarity is going to subvert my ability to be persuasive, and so I might bring in this person who they don't know who maybe is already successfully practicing this thing yeah. and then they come in and, and, and make the pitch also so that's the thing I, I don't know about that because like there, I think there's a lot of variables in there um, and so <clears throat> the easy answer would be to say yeah I would do that but if you're a church that if your church is a little leery of outsiders then no that's not going to help you um, if your church is a church that maybe the culture is a little leery of bigger churches and you it's not going to help you to bring in a pastor of a bigger church who successfully implemented this, you know? Mm -hmm. And so there, I think there's a lot of variables, but typically I would say, yeah. And so, um, the good thing of like in our position, we've brought in my overseers so many times through the years, Jim knew, uh, Jim Hennessy and John Nuzo have spoken at our church so many times that like when my dad passed away a few years ago, I asked Jim to record a video while I was out that we played at our church that basically he said, Hey, you need to give Mel some space, mm -hmm. you know, like we appreciate you loving him, but give him some space. And he said it in a really nice way, but it was direct. Mm -hmm. And he couldn't have said that if he didn't have the history. Does that right. make sense? Yeah, the rapport. Yeah. yeah. And so we brought him in he's been around enough that now he's a familiar figure, but he's still a, an authority that can speak into. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's value in building that over time and, if he was just some stranger, it doesn't matter that he pastors a gigantic church or who he is and what he's accomplished. Our church wouldn't have cared. Mm -hmm. But the relational factor is what gave him the influence to be able to say, hey, give him some space. Yeah, and that's that's useful to know. Like, uh, You want to build those relationships and also uh, bring the regular exposure because you might need it someday. Yeah, absolutely. Like, if, even if you can't see where you need it right now or it's not going to bring a direct benefit, it's useful to have it for whenever you do need it, need yeah. it then you can roll it out and it, it works out. Well, and with those guys... I mean, they don't have a formal role in our church, but, you know, I was talking, we, we just finished up a board and staff retreat as a church. And one of the things we were talking about with the board was, hey, these guys, our board doesn't understand church the way pastors do. And so if I died in a plane crash or if I had a moral failure or something like that, 
these two overseers would be able to come alongside our board and go, hey, here's how we're going to navigate this so the church can be as healthy as possible. Um, so that's part of what their role is. But it, that only happens through relationship, right? Mm-hmm. There's trust there. Um, and those guys didn't just drop in my lap. Like I, I went and pursued them. You mm-hmm. know, I hunted yeah. them down. Uh, they don't call me up and say, hey, can we go to lunch? I call them and say, hey, can we go to lunch? Um, you know, I go to John's close enough. He's about an hour and a half away that I go to his events. He doesn't call me and say, would you come to the event? I, I show up at the events. Um, you know, when Jim's doing something, I'm showing up, I'm pursuing them. And again, um, you know, Jim is like a spiritual father for me and he will, he'll call me and check on me and things like that. Um, but, but I still put the onus on myself to pursue them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's useful to know the order of the way that works, because I think sometimes we can fall into the trap of thinking, okay, well, if my church gets this big and if my church gets this big or my church crosses crosses this threshold yeah. then the network's going to come to me yeah. then people are going to no. seek me out and it just doesn't work that no. way and so you just yeah you have to take the initiative and, and reach out and that that does pay dividends to have those uh those net that network in place so yeah. when we're talking about influence and uh the influence that you could have over your people um how do you manage influence while also showing, and, and this might not even be like guest speakers, but even other staff that you might have, you bring in somebody, say your church is growing and you want to bring in somebody who's high capacity Co- coming with that person is like a degree of influence because of the fact that they're high capacity. People mm-hmm. might start to look up to that person. How do you manage influence uh, when, while you're trying to lead a team of high capacity people? How do you, make sure that everything's staying cohesive. I know this, some of this is about vision casting, but like even just the way you interact with your, the people that, that, that work for you, like how would you advise other pastors to uh, not get too insecure about their own influence over their people? Um, the, the reality is I only have the ability to influence X amount of people. I mean, even with social media and all the th- tools we've got, and real influence, relational influence. I mean, I I just have a I have a limited capacity, and so if I'm not comfortable um, handing influence to other people, then I'm always going to be capped. Um, so if if I'm uncomfortable letting um, people outside our organization influence our staff, then our staff is going to be limited. I'm going to be limited. Our church is going to be limited. And so that's where it's got to come back to just the bigger vision going, okay, does it have to be about me? Does it have to be about making sure every, every I is dotted and every T is crossed exactly the way I would want? Um, because if it is, then we're, we're by default going to be capped. Um, but if I'm really interested in maximizing our potential, then I have to be open-handed about influence in our organization. I have to be open-handed about who's speaking into, and I have to trust our team. Um, you know, our, our missions and outreach pastor, Steph McCoy, is is great at networking. Um, she's done a really good job, and again, she pursues it. But like, we're a pretty good-sized church for Western PA, but some of the churches she's networked with are like Willow Creek, um, you know, um, Gateway and South Lake, like she's working alongside their missions and outreach pastors for best practices. And it's like, those are churches that are, I don't know, post COVID gateways, probably 20,000, 25, you know, um, Willow's probably 10, 12. I don't know what they are now, but I mean, those are gigantic churches. So, you know, some of our staff, um, are, are doing better than others at that, 
But I've got to trust them to be able to go, okay, they they know what we want. They know what we're asking them to do. And I'm going to let other people speak into them to help them get to where we want to go. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, I think that one of the things, like most most pastors who are serious about the Great Commission and who are serious about reaching the lost would say that they want to have that multiplicative model in uh-huh. place. They want, they want it to multiply. But I think that guarding the influence could be the one of the biggest barriers to that in the sense that like, well, well, the culture here is raise up leaders of leaders essentially. And that's, that entails division of influence to Mm -hmm. some degree. It does. And so I think that like pastors who might be listening to this podcast, if they feel insecure about influence, they should look at that and think, okay, that might be one of the major hurdles that I have to overcome yeah, in order liability. to achieve the multiplicative model. And yeah. it's like, it's, it's, it's rough because like, even just in the the department that I oversee production here at summit, uh, it's, it's hard for me to let go of control sometimes mm-hmm. for other people. But it's also the case that if I don't do that, then there won't be other leaders. And then, yeah. so then you don't, you don't see multiplication happening. And yeah. so there, it is like, a. I don't, maybe God designed it this way where you just need to have faith for it to, 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 to reach out. You know, you have to step into the unknown. You have to step mm-hmm. into the places where it's uncomfortable and where it's like, it's outside of your control to some degree. Um, have you seen situations where maybe in your own career or in the careers of your associates where they've tried to do that? And then the division, like the, the influence was divided in an unhealthy way that led to like a split and what are what would have caused that well i mean yes and i think that comes back to culture there was there was probably already an unhealthy culture present um and so you're dividing influences among some negative influences if that makes sense and so i think one of the most important things that the, the senior leader does is guard the culture um and the values and those kind of things. And so I think as long as the values and the culture are healthy, yeah, you're still going to make some mistakes. There's going to be some issues, but there's a difference between an, an honest mistake and going, oh, I thought this is what we would do, and a subversive mistake where we go, well, I don't care what you want. This is what I think is best. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And so um, the real issues are when those things happen. The, real, the problems come when – the culture is unhealthy when people's hearts aren't right, uh, where it's about building my kingdom instead of the kingdom. That's where the big issues come in. But there's going to be issues. But the question is, is the culture healthy enough to absorb some of the honest mistakes where people go, oh, I just thought this is what we do. And you go, no, 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 that's not what we do. It's okay. You know? Yeah, yeah. Looking for the the intentions, looking for the, yeah. you know, trying to measure and that can be difficult things because it's hard to see someone's heart but you can look for patterns you know look for things where okay maybe this person's really mostly just interested in in building themselves up here Mm -hmm. rather than building up the church maybe this person is you know because that's the thing too even in relationships and it's interesting how like how leadership in a church context has some overlap or maybe a lot of overlap in when it comes to personal relationships but Mm -hmm. you know a lot of times it's not obvious that a person who's in relationship with someone else wants the best for the person they're in relationship with, yeah. you know, like, and they could be acting in ways that are trying to subvert the well being of that person. And so, we, I mean, it seems it is obvious that people do that. And so, for pastors, they should also assume, I think, that 
that could carry over into ministry, you know, mm-hmm. because it's just people doing ministry. It's just people in leadership. So, you know, maybe is, is that a good way to, to tell whether or not you're, you have a person like that is to look at their, their personal relationships and see how they steward those. Yeah, probably. And I think it's just, it's the character, you know, like, okay, what have they produced? What have they done in their past? That's a good indication of what they'll do in their future. And I talk about that a lot. Like the best indicator of future performance is past performance. So if, if somebody has past performance, it's full of subversiveness and full of drama and full of issues with leadership. And those are probably people that I don't want part of our network or I don't want part of our team because I know that they're going to produce issues. You know, um, I can't release influence to them. I can't release authority to them. Um, and even with peers, you know, if I, if I have, there's some guys that, that pastor that I know that I love, but they've got, they've got, um, drama all over their wake, right? You just look Mm -hmm. in their past and it's like, oh, there's issues, there's problems. And it's like, do I want to be yoked together with them? Mm -hmm. Probably not. And so I think that's important to look at and just go, okay, you know, it's not just about practices. It's not just about you know, how we do church, but it's about that heart too. Uh, so yeah, when it comes to people on our team, um, yeah, there's a big difference between somebody who makes an honest mistake, like, and somebody who is trying to build their own kingdom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And you might be listening to this if you're a young pastor or if you're not a very well networked pastor and you might be thinking, well, I don't really have a history yet. I don't have much of a history that a leader could look at and say, okay, this person's got solid character or this person is a sower of bad seed mm -hmm. or a sower of discord. And if that's you, I think one of the things that you can do is and it's, it's it sounds difficult, but it it is difficult because starting out anything is difficult. Starting yeah. out any kind of career is difficult. So assume the difficulty first. Assume mm-hmm. it's going to be hard, and then uh, one of the things I think that works, and you can tell me what you think about this, but uh, if you offer to work for free for mm-hmm. someone who you respect and you offer to do something for them that is relatively low risk for them to bring you on in that area. Mm-hmm. I think that can be super helpful because, you know, you might get bogged down in the work of it and say, okay, well, what benefit is it going to do for me to show that I can, you know, be a greeter or that I yeah. can run a camera or whatever it is? Like, what's that going to show this person about my abilities? But what it shows the person, what it shows the leader who you're trying to build a relationship with like they have time to spend around you now. Mm-hmm. Like you can be in the room with them and then yeah. that get, that exposes them to the character that you don't have the history to represent. Like your history is not there so they can't go back and look. Yeah. So you have to give them an opportunity that's low risk uh, in order for them to be able to see into you. What, what do you think about that for like someone who's starting out or, or not a well-networked person? Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of value there. Um and I would say even and that makes a lot of sense in a church context. But even if you're a pastor trying to connect with another pastor, um, especially somebody who's at a different a different plane than you are, where you go, man, I we aspire to be a church like that, or I aspire to be a pastor like that. I, I would say the same thing applies where you go, hey, because um, typically in in the mentor ask, it's about, hey, would you give me time? Would you give me value, right? But if we can flip that and go, I just want to hang around. Is there a way I can serve you? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That is a different ask entirely. And there is value, even if you're not sitting down in a mentor relationship where they're saying point one, point mm-hmm. two, 
if if you're just around them, if you're smart, if you're paying attention, you're going to glean, you're going to yeah. grow. And so that's, like I said earlier, that's one of the reasons why every time John Nuzzo's putting a vent on, I'm going, I'm going to support it. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be in the room for the conversations. Uh, I'm going to look for ways to serve while I'm there. Hey, you need stuff passed out. I'll do it. You need somebody standing at the door. I'll do it. Whatever you need me to do, I'll do. Um, and, and again, it comes back to that idea of, am I, am I just looking to extract value or I'm looking to add value? Um, and I think that's big no matter where you're at. Yeah. And that, doing practicing that i think and i've seen this a lot in my own life practicing that will maybe do more good for what you're trying to achieve than a lot of the other things you could spend your time on i mean it's a it ends up being a relatively low investment compared to the return that you get always like that just who you know i mean there's the trope about that when it comes to getting jobs like it's all in who you know but it Mm -hmm. is it is all in who you know that's a huge deal and so yeah like i think i think that's a great way to get to know someone so i my hope is that this podcast this particular episode has been a good i don't want to say advertising advertisement but a good uh something you can listen to that will get you excited about back 40 get you excited about joining the leadership network and uh you know showing up to the conference and all of those things and kind of trying to start to take your relationship building seriously and so this has been really good guys i really appreciate you joining us for uh the back 40 leadership podcast uh we will be back again soon with another episode and so thank you all for listening and we will see you in the next episode